Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrej Matišák, and I work as the deputy head of Foreign Desk in Slovak Davy Pravda. We have to be extremely careful making preliminary judgments about what is really happening on the ground. This is what French Stefan Gadi said to me when I asked him if Russia gets anything military right when attacking Ukraine and how Ukrainian forces are doing. My guest is a research fellow for cyber, space and future conflict at the International Institute for Strategic Studies. What is his cautious forecast of the conflict? This podcast was recorded on March 21st. Listen to our conversation. If we want to assess how Russia is doing militarily in Ukraine, we should probably also take into account what were Kremlin objectives when it started the invasion. But while we cannot be 100% sure about them, if we look at the battlefield, do you see anything that Russia gets right about this war? First of all, we are really living in the Ukrainian narrative of this conflict, right? The Ukrainians have dominated the information space from day one of this conflict and Russia is only catching up right now. So I think we have to be extremely careful making preliminary judgments about what is really happening on the ground. We really don't have a good picture of Ukrainian losses in terms of manpower and equipment. So that's something that one has to keep in mind. We don't know Ukrainian attrition rates. We also don't have a good picture of Russian losses, because as I said, what we see now is only a small picture of what is really happening. And there are just some structural deficiencies that Russia has to work around. For example, um, they are the invader, right? So everyone around there, the Ukrainians have cell phones, they post pictures of dead Russians. They are not likely to post pictures of dead Ukrainians or destroyed Ukrainian military equipment. And then there's also been anecdotal evidence that except for the Chechen troops, it seems the Russian soldiers have had their cell phones confiscated. So there's also not that much coverage for about the Russian military operations overall. So so that that it's just something that I want to put out there. You have to be extremely careful. And it's, it's just very difficult to really get a, a clear picture of what is happening in this war. That's one point. My second point is just that I think the political objectives were highly unrealistic and they set up the Russian armed forces for failure, so to speak. There were too many axes of advance. I think that's going to change in the next couple of weeks. Maybe we're going to see one or two axes of advance where the Russians are really trying to focus. There was no combined arms maneuver, no combined arms operations, right? Overall, that I think was just, it took me, frankly, three days to figure that one out. The first day, it seemed to me that, you know, stuff was going according to plan. And then second and third day, I started beginning to have doubts, especially after I found out that there wasn't really a massive missile barrage and that there were so many different approaches uh, of Russian troops into Ukraine, where I was just thinking with 200,000 troops, neither of these advances are going to be so strong that they can actually punch uh, through Ukrainian defenses. The war lasts for almost four weeks. So what's next? What's going to happen or what the situation looks like now is that we're really most likely going to enter a form of attrition warfare with Russians encircling some of the key cities, perhaps most critical. And that's something that I've been pointing out on Twitter for the past three weeks is the situation for 
Ukrainian forces in uh, the Donbass because they could be encircled there. That's a real danger for Ukrainian troops. There's one push from the north of Mariupol and one push coming down from Kharkiv. We don't know how strong these, these Russian arrows, so to speak, are, but at some point they're going to meet and cut off Ukrainian forces. And I think that's something very critical that could actually severely impact long-term fighting morale of Ukrainian forces if they get cut off and captured or destroyed. Don't see that much progress up in Kiev, where uh, Ukrainian defenses continue to hold. I mean, so far the Russians haven't succeeded in encircling the city. It's still a possibility that they managed to encircle the city, but I just simply don't think that they have enough troops to assault the city. That I think is, for me, almost out of the question, at least now and in the next couple of weeks. Um, and I also said that on the record, I think, multiple times um, that, that I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, for the time being, I also don't see how they can work their way around uh, Mikolaev in the south. Mm. I think that's where they really suffered a severe defeat. But again, I just want to be cautious about the fact that we don't know really a lot of things that are happening. And one key example that I always cite is also the air domain. So what do you see there? We just don't know what the air picture looks like. How many Ukrainian aircrafts are left? You know, how successful are they? Uh, there are still actually TB2s flying around. I think some of the numbers, you know, when it comes to the TB2 drones are highly inflated. Um, this is a system that cannot survive in an environment where you have strong Russian air defenses. And I think the more longer this conflict goes on and the more stationary it's going to become, the less likely the success of Ukrainian drones, for example, like the TB2. So yeah, I think that's generally the operational picture. I think there's going to be more focus on perhaps taking Mariupol. There's definitely continued focus on perhaps encircling Kiev. And uh, I think we'll see about what they're going to do with Mikolaev and Odessa. Um, I don't know. I, I have my doubts that they're going to push in the near future, but I could, I, I could be wrong. I think what you see with Belarusian troops at the border, you don't need a Belarusian invasion of Ukraine from the West in order to essentially bind a lot of Ukrainian troops up there, right? Hold them there because they have to react. Or, you know, I think the strategy here is much more put your troops on the border and Ukrainian troops have to stay there. They have to watch the border. And this is just uh, also capturing a lot of Ukrainian resources up there in that region. So I wouldn't worry too much at the moment about, you know, 20,000 Belarusians attacking. Um, I think it really much more a forcing being concept, but it's very also, again, draining resources, which goes back to my original point. We just don't know how the attrition rates of Ukrainian forces also we don't know how successful their counterattacks really are. There's been some evidence that some of them have been successful, especially in the south and then also in uh, east of Kiev that they made some progress. But it, again, it's, it's ex extremely difficult to, to get a clear picture of what's happening. So I would treat all the news with extreme caution. And at the end of the day, the Russians still have some major military advantages. But do they really? I have seen some other predictions. It's going to be very very difficult for the Ukrainians to dislodge or push out the Russians from where they are at the moment. I think we're heading in a stalemate unless there's a political, cold, diplomatic uh, solution. I think I also said that a few times already, and I think that's something that, I mean, I talked, do you know Michael Kaufman? Yes, I do. He's a friend of mine, so we, we message a lot, and I think this is also something that he said, um, and I said it already also, I think, three weeks ago, that at some point, at the attrition rate of what we've seen, you know, with maybe 10%, of forces on both sides out of action. I think there has to be an operational pause or a change in how this war is fought in the next um, days to weeks, I would say. 
And we already are seeing a slowdown of Russian military operations. And I think that's also something important to keep in mind. And then um, the other thing that I always uh, also point out, and this is something that my other friend, Gustav Gressel, initially alerted me to, is um, that the new conscripts joining the army are, are joining uh, in at the beginning of April, right? Which means that a lot of the, the old conscripts uh, can be signed up for service in Ukraine. So I think there's at least going to be one major Russian military push, I think, middle to late April, at least that something that you can expect. Again, nothing is for sure, but perhaps this is going to happen with additional manpower input, because that I think could generate like 100,000 extra troops or so. So that's important. You know, Russians are still making some progress. It's not a total disaster, I think, as some pictured it. I think we've uh, maybe underestimated Ukrainian resolve and the Ukrainian capacity to resist and the Ukrainian armed forces. And perhaps we overestimated the Russians in some aspects, but other aspects, I think we got right. Like the logistical problem, that was an issue that everyone who studied the Russian armed forces knew that that was going to happen, you know, like that the battalion tactical groups were not set up for offensive operations um, deep into enemy territory. But from the military tactic perspective, what surprised you most on how Russia is conducting this war? For example, and I might assess this wrong way, but I was surprised that we have seen quite a few ambushes of Russian tanks and armored vehicles columns that have very little to none infantry protection, not to mention air support. I know that those videos were published by Ukrainians, but still. We overestimated the impact of the post-2008 military reforms at the tactical level in the Russian ground forces. or armed forces in general. That's one key takeaway that this army at this stage is just not good at combined arms maneuver, which is really the key to any tactical military victory in a conventional war. I cannot stress this enough. This does not mean that the main battle tank is obsolete. It doesn't mean that mechanized forces are obsolete. It doesn't mean that, you know, manned aircraft are obsolete. It just means that in order to survive on the modern and future battlefields, there is no substitute for combined arms maneuver. That's simple as it is. And the Russians apparently have not improved their performance in some ways since the 2008 war in Georgia. That's something that one has to keep in mind. And I think, yeah, we, we perhaps, um, you know, some analysts perhaps overestimated that aspect. I certainly thought that they would perform much stronger in that way. But also have to remember, that this was not planned as a large-scale conventional military campaign. In a way, the Russians have been playing catch-up ever since they stumbled into Ukraine on February 24th. It's sometimes uh, comparing apples with oranges here, right? Had they had time to train for a couple of months combined arms maneuvers and, and went in there also in combined arms formations, I think the result would have been very different. At the end, it's the military and political leadership that set the armed forces up for failure. France, you are focusing on the future of the war, but what Russia is doing is somewhat a war of the past? I mean, encircling cities, bombing them? Again, that's a tough question because fundamentally the Russian armed forces would fight NATO or perhaps any other enemy differently than they are fighting in Ukraine because they simply have underestimated Ukrainian fighting power and resolve. There are some indications that maybe they're not as good in targeting as we thought they are when it comes to precision strikes. Even so, um, you know, they still are capable of conducting precision strikes, right? When you talk about the future of warfare, 
We haven't really seen any large-scale offensive uh, cyber operations, but then again, we don't know what is what has really been happening. And there's been some evidence that uh, some command and control nods of the Ukrainian armed forces have indeed been hit by cyber Russian cyber operations. I think we have to be very careful here as well. They have employed some of their more boutique capabilities, like you know, air air launched ballistic missiles, which was, by the way, what we saw couple of days ago. This was the Kinsol as an air-launched ballistic missile. It's not a hypersonic flight vehicle. It's simply an air-launched ballistic missile that can fly at hypersonic speeds, but it doesn't have the maneuverability of hypersonic flight vehicles. But overall, I think the Army still principally focuses on, on firepower and artillery. And so that's not very surprising. And they have been catching up since um, 2018 when it comes to development uh, of combat drones. They're now putting a lot of money into drone swarms. It all depends now how this war is going to impact all of these endeavors. But it's, um, I think it's really too early to make any fundamental judgments about the Russian armed forces in future conflict. Also, the equipment that, that they have lost now does not really contain some of the most advanced systems like the S-400 and you know some of the other more advanced platforms, including uh, some of the more modern aircraft, um, Su-35 and so forth. So I think we should be careful about making judgments here. But I mean, it definitely has put a dent into the reputation of the Russian armed forces for sure. And I think one one consequence um, could be in the future that they have to rely more on their uh, tactical nuclear weapons for deterrence purposes than on other uh, non-nuclear strategic weapon systems. Could be a return to the 1990s Russian armed forces for a while until they have built up their military capacity again. By the way, do we know who is on the Russian side responsible for the operation in Ukraine? Who are the commanding officers? And does this operation have a name? I haven't come across a name. No, no, no. That's a good point. Um, no, except the letter, right? Um, that's the only thing that I, I associate with it. I mean, look, the way the campaign has been set up, I think it must have taken a couple of months of planning for sure. That's not something that you can do overnight. So you have to have had word from the general staff. For sure. Who exactly did the planning? I don't know. It was yeah. definitely not Shoigo. He's yeah. just as a political soldier, in my opinion. I, I suppose it must have gone over the desk of the chief of general staff, right? So he must have signed off. And talking about generals, it seems that five or six Russian generals of various ranks have died from the beginning of the war. Is this somehow unusual? I don't think it's unusual for the Russian officers to die in larger numbers than the West counterparts because they usually lead from the front in comparison to a lot of Western counterparts. But it also shows that this is a high intensity conflict with casualty rates that we haven't really seen in a long time. So no, I don't think that's very unusual because a lot of these people also have to go to the front to regroup and just make sense you know, of what's happening to do their own reconnaissance. So it definitely points towards tactical failures, but at the same time, that's compounded by the fact that they more often than not leave from the front and, and really do their own reconnaissance. I ask you about if Russians are fighting the war of the future, but what about Ukrainians? They're using portable anti-tank missile systems, drones, etc. Are they fighting the war of the future? First of all, we don't know, again, we don't know casualty figures on the Ukrainian yeah. side. We just simply don't know. We know that they're also not good at combined arms maneuvers because what they do is really small scale, mostly raiding parties, infantry, ambushing, which is great, but it, it's, it's going to be difficult to do large scale offensive operations and push the Russians out with these types of tactics, right? 
they also would need to step up. Well, there are two major conclusions for future warfare. One is combined arms maneuver is going to remain key in tactical military victories in conventional war. That's one. Second, there seems to be a growing advantage for the defending side on the modern battlefield. Like usually you have, you know, this three to one ratio that you need in rural territory and then it moves up to five to one in urban combat. But I think there's some enabling capabilities, precision guided munitions, like anti-tank weapons, man pads, and so forth that help tilt this ratio even more towards the defending side. So I think what we could see is perhaps it could be an indication of something that I thought might be happening that is a new defensive dominant age of warfighting. That's one of my hypotheses also that I've been working on for a while. But again, the data doesn't really support this conclusion yet. This is a mere hypothesis of mine just now, because we don't know what, you know, what the Ukrainians are really up to. So Franz, to pick up on some of your points, especially from the beginning of our conversation, I am not going to ask you if Russia is losing this war. But maybe the better question is, is Russia not winning this war, but does it still have the resources to turn it around decisively? Well, it could definitely generate additional forces, and it, it has huge military potential still. It definitely can win this campaign without using tactical nuclear weapons, which I think is it's just not something that, that is on the table in any case. I think the problem more so is, is that uh, the political objectives, I mean, uh, of conquering you know, large chunks of Ukraine with 200,000 troops without any training, throwing them in there piecemeal without really any concept or like a, a, a flawed concept of operations. All of this together is going to make it extremely difficult. So the likelier option is not so much that Russia is going to win this war, rather, you know, Ukraine is not going to lose it in a sense that they just have to hold on. And, and at some point, this is going to turn into a campaign of attrition unless there's a political solution. At the end of the day, we don't know, right? I mean, war is highly contingent. This could be, I don't know, I don't even know in what phase we're in, right? It could be over next week. It could last longer. It could be the middle part. You know, that that's always what I want to point out as well. No, I, th I think it will be difficult for Russia to pull off its objectives, but we don't know to what degree they have changed, right? If it's just occupied territory east of the Dnepr River, okay, well, that's still possible. They can still do that. If they want to, you know, occupy Mariupol, if they want to occupy Donbass, and if they want to hold on to one or two cities in the Northeast, Kherson, and so forth. Yeah, sure. I think it's going to be very difficult for the Ukrainians to push them out at the moment. But I fear that any sort of pause in the fighting might only set us up for a larger confrontation in the future once both sides have regrouped and build up their, their reserves. And, and this is definitely something that could happen. Yeah. But I don't expect a quick Russian military victory, and I don't expect a quick Ukrainian defeat at this stage. But will Russia be able to finance this war? I think this is only going to become trickier for Russia in, you know, in a couple of months from now. But I think the military is the last institution that will be feeling any financial strains. Yeah. Don't require any imports, I mean, at least for the equipment that they need in Ukraine at the moment. There's a perpetual shortage in microchips and so forth and, and other stuff. But this is not stuff that you need to fight in Ukraine. Yeah. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe. Listen on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and all the other platforms. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.